Well, welcome church. We are glad that you're here with us at Wilshire. Uh, those of you who are online with us, welcome. We're glad you are able to join us today. Jeremy Beller is off preaching the gospel in Kansas somewhere. Uh, so you get me today. Uh, all me, all the time. Um, and we are doing our study in Deuteronomy. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at several passages. The first one is going to be in Deuteronomy 15, and then we're going to go to those passages in Deuteronomy 24 for a bit as well. Uh, if you have the study sheet, you can kind of follow along there. Otherwise, just open up your actual Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 is where we're going to go first. Jeremy kind of told us a couple of weeks ago when he preached out of the early chapters of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is not just a book about how, to, how individuals are righteous before God. It's a second giving of the law of God, and individuals need to think about the law of God and how to be righteous. But Deuteronomy has this other agenda, just like the law of God, the covenant of God has this other agenda. It's not just you as an individual do these things so God will like you and, and be pleased with you. This is a plan God had to make a people out of this rabble that came out of this demoralized uh, and immoral group of people that came out of Egypt as slaves. This is God's plan to make, to forge a community of God. And a lot of what goes on in the book of Deuteronomy is, is a repetition and a reiteration of God's principles of holding the community of God together, of how to be God's people. Do you remember what Israel's mission statement is? You will be, God tells Israel in Exodus 19, you will be a nation of priests for me. That gets repeated to us Christians, by the way. We are, Peter tells us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That mantle of being priests for the whole world has passed now to this holy community. So when we read Deuteronomy, it's set in a far distant time. The situation is very distant and very different from ours. What was going on in society, how their government and economy and society worked, very distant from ours. But if we read it with open eyes, we can begin to see what God's priorities are, how he wants his community to function. And there are important lessons for us to learn. And that's what I want to look at today. And today, I kind of went through the book of Deuteronomy and picked out several passages where God's priorities for the poor kind of shine out. What does God think about rich and poor based on what he says in the book of Deuteronomy? And there are several important teachings that we get. We'll start with the most simple one. You already know this is coming, but we'll go ahead and read it anyway. Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. Job number one, God's priority number one, 
God wants his people to be generous to those who are in need. Period. Now, if you took, don't do this, but if you took your hands and just ripped Deuteronomy out of the Bible, you would still know that. Because that message, God wants his people to be generous to those who need help, that's all over the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. If you read the great prophets that are in the Old Testament, people like Amos, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, if you read them, there are two things that God says, I find fault with my people for two main issues that God sends his prophets to warn them about. If you don't straighten this up, then I have to bring my judgment against you. This can't go on. One of them, over and over again, is a failure to love God, idolatry, over and over again. You're giving your loyalty and the best of yourselves to things that aren't worthy of it. You're following after these idols that are going to hurt you and disappoint you instead of uh, being loyal to me who can bless you and make your life what it should be. Idolatry is going to hurt you. But the other one in Amos and Hosea and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah, you treat poor people horribly. And if you keep it up, I am bringing judgment on the nation. <laughs> says it over and over and over again. Just can't do it. God says his people need to be generous to those who need help. That's just part of what it means to be this community of God. When Jesus comes on the scene, the New Testament, Jesus reiterates that tenfold. He says, be open-handed. Tells one rich man, take all your stuff, sell it, and come follow me. Give it to the poor. It's worth it. Come follow me. He says to all of us, when somebody asks you and needs, give it. Don't worry if you're going to get it back. Give it. And he says on the day of judgment, people will say, well, when did I see you hungry, Jesus? You said, I'm in trouble because I didn't give you food when you were hungry. And Jesus' answer will be on that day of judgment. Remember that poor person who was hungry? Remember that poor girl who didn't have enough clothes? That was me the whole time. And when you didn't help them, you were turning your back on me. God wants his people to be generous to those who need help. It's part of God's vision for what his people are supposed to be to the world. Here's supposed to be a community that shines out to the rest of the world. And I want to say a half message of hope <laughs> about this. Because as messed up as the followers of Christ are, as divided and how much disagreements we have, people who follow Christ all around the world, the world does kind of know that in a pinch when things go bad, 
People who follow Christ tend to show up and help. When there's a tsunami, when there's an earthquake, when there's a famine, when there's a flood, people who follow Christ tend to show up and help. People in this community know once a month there's food here. People in this community know when Thanksgiving comes, Thanksgiving baskets go out from this church. People in this community know that we try to be generous. And people in the world know that followers of Christ, as messed up as we often are, we show up to help those who need help. I think God wants that, and he wants more of it. I don't think you can read the Bible and miss that message. That's part of how we exercise our priestly function to the rest of the world, is to show them that aspect of the heart of God by our own generosity to illustrate the generosity of our Father in heaven. So that's one priority. And you can all leave now if you want, because if you get that message out of the sermon, you're, you're good. Uh, that's, that's the key one. But there are a couple of other things in Deuteronomy that I think are really interesting that kind of illustrate some other principles with this issue of, you know, differences in wealth. God does not institute, you know, total equality of wealth, and he doesn't try to do that. But he does several things to try and make this a less painful imbalance between rich and poor. Deuteronomy 24, verse 12 through 15, if the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. This is such a weird thing. If, if somebody, is, it's kind of like a precursor, you guys know what pawn shops are, right? Pawn shop where you can go and you really need cash. It was, it was the, anyway, it, it, so this is kind of that. I mean, uh, I need something to tide me over. And, and uh, f until I get paid, and, and uh, a rich person would just say, okay, well, give me something to prove that you're going you're gonna to pay me back. Give me, I'll tell you what, give me your wife's cooking pot. Or give me that uh, blanket that you and your kids wrap up in at night. And then I know you're really going to be serious about paying me back. And that was practiced all over the ancient world. And that was something the Israelites were doing, and so God gives this rule. If you go and take that pledge, tell you what, at night give it back. You can go get it the next day, but at night give it back, because they are going to be cold if you don't. And they're going to cry out to God, and it will be a sin against you. It'll be a sin, a black mark on your record. Return the cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. They will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of the hired worker who's poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they're poor and they're counting on it. Otherwise, they'll cry out to the Lord against you, and you'll be guilty of sin. Rich people... People who have economic power are often in a position 
to make themselves a little bit richer by abusing their economic power at the expense of those who are poor. That's just, that's just the way it's always worked and the way it always has. And God's law says, don't do that. These people need, and you know they need. And yes, you could get away with it. They're not going to be able to scrape up the funds to sue you in court. They're not going to bring you to the elders of the city. They can't do that. They don't have the standing. He, he mentioned specifically the, the immigrants, the foreigners. They can't do that. Nobody's going to listen to them. And you know you can get away with it. Don't do it. Because even if the elders of the city don't hold you accountable, I will, God says. This is such an interesting set of laws. Because what this is about is forgetting that the poorest person in Israel is a member of God's covenant people. And the poorest person that you meet is created in the image of God. God wants his people to remember the person behind the poverty. This is about dignity. And one of the terrible things about rich and poor imbalance that we experience is the way that poverty can go along with indignity day after day. And those of us who have more can take advantage of that, can pile on the indignity, or we can help people experience dignity. And it matters. It matters a lot. I don't know if you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. You can pile indignity on the person who's waiting for you. Waiting on you. And they can't fight back. They still have to smile and say, have a nice day. You can be a complete jerk to them and get away with it. You have power in that situation. You have privilege. Don't be that person. That's one of God's priorities from 3,000 years ago. God's speaking to us today. Don't be a jerk in the drive through line at McDonald's. You know what I mean? This is, part of the reason for this is purely practical. Societies where the rich treat the poor with absolute contempt and disdain and use their poverty as a way to get even richer crumble eventually. The poor know what's going on and they lose all trust in that society and first chance they get, they rise up and destroy it if they can. My, my wife, Yodi, is a history buff, and she's told me this story two or three times, and it's just an interesting story. There was a, there was a period of this real judgment on rich, poor imbalance in France. You guys know the French Revolution. It was pretty awful in some of its uh, outcomes. 
the people who had lived for centuries with wealth and privilege, the nobility. Eventually, the lower classes rose up and the hatred that had built up over centuries was so severe that nothing would satisfy other than public executions, the guillotine, over and over again. Noble people. And Yodi tells me about this one Lord who had really seen the people in the peasants that he oversaw on his estates. He knew them by name. He took care of them. He was generous. But he was a noble, and so he was a target for the vengeance of the crowds. And one day, the mobs broke in and took him and brought him out and were about to execute him. His own peasants came and brought him back home to his estates. Months later, she said, the mobs, another mob, came and got him again. They were going to execute him. His own peasants came at great personal risk and took him and said, no, he's a good one, and brought him back home. And she says they did that like three times. Was it three times? Three times. Now, the wealth imbalance was was still there with them, but, but my point is God's people need to recognize the person behind the poverty. It is more important to recognize the dignity of a person. It is crucial to understand that and to not pile on, to not take that away. And God's laws here in Deuteronomy try to, try to help that. Deuteronomy 24 continues with some more teachings that I think are interesting that have to do with dignity of a particular kind. Deuteronomy, this is what we had read for our scripture this morning, starting in verse 17. Do not deprive the immigrant, the foreigner, or the orphan, the fatherless, of justice, or take the cloak of the widow in pledge. Immigrant, orphan, widow, these are all people who are easy to exploit legally. They don't have much voice. Uh, the adult men in the society can take advantage of them if they want to. Do not deprive the foreigner, the, father, uh, the orphan, or the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt yourselves, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I command you to do this. When you're harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, uh, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the immigrant or the foreigner, the, the orphan and the widow, so the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the father, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the father, the fatherless, the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. Now, this is about that same idea of dignity, seeing the person behind the poverty. But it's also about something else. This is interesting. The Jewish rabbis commented on this passage and some other passages, and they said, it is a good deed 
in Jewish law, and to this day, this is still the ruling, it is a good deed in the Jewish religion to give to the poor, to give alms. But it is a far greater deed to give a job, to help somebody begin to help themselves. That's the way the rabbis understood this passage and related passages. And I think that's correct. I think God's idea of a functioning community is that those of us who have some power, we work to make people, to help people find a way to help themselves. In God's eyes, it's good to meet a need, but it's even better to assist people into ways to help themselves. It's one thing to give and give, and we should. And God's watching whether we are generous or stingy, whether we are open-handed or closed-fisted. But it's even better for us to be figuring out, what can I do to make it a little easier for people who are up against it in this system, in this society, what can I do to make it a little easier for them to be able to get on their feet financially? What could change? What could be better? What could make that happen? And God thinks it's good when we think that deeply about what's going on in our society. It's an interesting thing from 3,000 plus years ago, that message comes to us today. So one more passage, I mean, there's some others, but, but I'm choosing to focus on one more passage. Back in Deuteronomy 15, the Sabbath year ruling is about rich and poor. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 and 2. At the end of every seven years, the Sabbath year, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the, the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. If anyone's poor, verse 7 says, skipping down, if anyone's poor among your fellow Israelites or any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is coming so that you show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may appeal to God against you and you'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Because Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Now this system was a fascinating system. Scholars have gone to great lengths to try and figure out what God was doing with this Sabbath year canceling of debts. And they haven't gotten to the bottom of it, so I'm not going to get to the bottom of it in this sermon. But I will tell you what seems on the surface obvious to most people. God hates hopeless poverty. He hates poverty where the system is set up so that people have no hope of digging themselves out of a hole. He hates it. He set up the Sabbath year so that even if you had a bad harvest, you were working 
but you know, things went south for you and you had to take a debt and you're not in a position you're ever going to be able to pay off the debt, there could be a reset. So you'd have a chance to become a productive member of society again. See, the deal is, if you're in debt in Israel, you can't get enough seed to make your fields fertile. You can't plant. You can't grow. You can't be productive. It's hopeless poverty. And God did it. Now, that's a different situation than what we have, but, but you get the principle that's behind it. God hates hopeless poverty. So he comes up with a system of economic reset. Israel hated this principle as far as we can tell and never really lived up to it. I don't think they trusted God enough to actually do this. And it's too bad because God had promised more blessings and I think they deprived themselves of their blessings. That would have been possible if they had followed God's will in this. What does that mean for us today? Well, our situation is vastly different. Our economy works in vastly different ways. Our society works in vastly different ways. But the principle is still the same. When we look around and we see people in our culture who are being trapped into systems of of poverty, and we evaluate it, and we say, I don't see how that person can get out. Then we can't be happy with that. And we look around, and we see whole countries or segments of the world, and their own government is set up in such a way, and our international system is set up in such a way that the whole country seems to be trapped in hopeless poverty. We can't be okay with that. God hates hopeless poverty. And there are things we can do about that. There are things that we can say about that. We can at least, at the very least, be generous. And there are often more things that we can do. Because church, the mantle has passed to us now. We are God's royal priesthood for the world. Even if the rest of the world stays selfish and self-centered. We are now the people who are to model the loving and generous heart of our Father in heaven. God wants this world to resemble a little bit more tomorrow than it does today, the coming kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you've just poured into our laps. And, and we, are, we are very grateful for just the good things that we, we enjoy. I mean, you give us everything to keep us alive, but you go so far beyond that. And we get a lot of pleasure from your gifts, so much that we forget most of them. We just take them for granted. And God, we want to wake up to some of the good things that you do for us over and over and over again, to be aware what you've done for us and how you've lifted us up. And God, we want some of that gratitude to you to spill over into love for those around us. Help us to have open hearts 
and open hands. And when we see people who are in need, help us to be generous. Help us, God, to, 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 when we see problems, to work to solve those problems, to find what will make things better. God, give us wisdom, give us intelligence, so that we can do these things. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to our generous, giving Heavenly Father, if you want to come forward and tell us some need you have or to express some prayer concern, or if you're ready to receive baptism to begin your walk in a new life, why don't you come forward, tell us your need as we stand and are led in song.